This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, August 29th, 2021. More than a game, mousetrap. Let me try it again. Good morning, Connection Church. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, today we finish our series on uh, more than a game. So this month we've been looking at some popular games and, uh, and drawing some theological discussion from them. So far we've covered operation, perfection, the game of life last week we looked at Uno. Today we're going to look at Mousetrap, Mousetrap. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We welcome everyone that's here today. And those of you who are joining us online, thank you so much. Uh, did I say we're two sinners? We are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? Almighty God, thank you. Lord, I would just ask for you to settle me in so that I can um, have some focus now um, in this message that you've given us. Lord, use us to share your word. Thank you for everybody joining us here and online. And we give this time to you in the name of the Father and the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody agreed and said, Amen. Amen. So Mousetrap... Uh Originated back in 1963, so that's almost 60 years ago. Still one of the top 20 board games for kids. Um, anybody here played it or familiar with it? Yeah, yeah. If you're not, basically there's two parts of the game. There's the part where you build the mousetrap, you go around the board and construct this, uh, this elaborate kind of a, a, a thing of moving parts, including like a rickety staircase with his ball rolling down and a ball falling from a bathtub and hitting a board and knocking a guy into a circular tub and all to make this cage, semi-spherical cage, could fall down this pole and capture your mouse, Carrie. Carrie hates mice. She ought to love this game. Yeah. Second part, that's to build it. The second part of the game is, is trying to land on the square that allows you to turn the crank to make the thing go and the little cage come down on your opponent's mouse because that's how you win. Well, sometimes life feels like a giant mousetrap game, doesn't it? You know, with us day by day, step by step in our lives, sometimes the evil one, Satan, works really hard to capture us in one way or another as we just go about our everyday kind of business. And sometimes, like the board game, we help build a trap, build the trap, and we trap ourselves because of perhaps bad decisions. Maybe we choose to ignore God. Sometimes we focus on ourselves instead of those around us. Sometimes the trap can be rather elaborate, like the game. Sometimes it can be pretty simple. But either way, we often make it fairly easy for Satan, the evil one, to capture us. Mm -hmm. And as we've shared before, it all started a long, long time ago in a garden. And you know the name of that garden, right? The Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, a beautiful spot, paradise. 
It was paradise, as we've shared before. And, and we had it all. We had it all in the Garden of Eden. But we wanted more. Had it all, but we wanted more. We weren't satisfied to eat from what God had approved. No, we wanted fruit from the only tree that was off limits to us. Mm-mm-mm. Things haven't changed a whole lot since then, have they? No, they haven't. And the thing is, we didn't even know we wanted the fruit until Satan brought it to our attention, tempted us, and then he trapped us. He baited us and trapped us by misrepresenting God. That's the thing about a trap, isn't it? They, they don't always appear to be what they truly are. And so as we go back to Genesis chapter 2, God told Adam that he was free to eat any from any tree in the garden, any tree in the garden except for one. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if he ate from that tree, God said, he would die. And God placed that tree right in the middle of the garden. It wasn't a trap. He didn't go hide it somewhere. It was right in the middle as a reminder so that there was no question which tree it was. As we look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we learn more. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Hmm. Interesting how this thing works, isn't it? Satan asks a question to try to mislead. You must not, uh, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He, he, he knew better, but he's trying to mislead. And then she gets, she had, she was confused as, no, no, there's just one tree, but we can't eat, and we can't even touch it. You see how it, everything gets twisted, doesn't it? Everything gets twisted. And it didn't take much. It didn't take much. Satan set the bait with a little misdirection, a slight misquoting of God, and it's all took. It's all took. And the funny thing is this. I often marvel at this. Eve wasn't even the one God talked about about the tree earlier in, this, in Genesis. She wasn't even a lust. She hadn't even been created yet. God was telling Adam about that tree and how to, uh, what trees you can eat from and what not. She wasn't even there. So was there miscommunication between Adam and his wife? How could that possibly be? We don't ever have that, do we? No. That must have been a one-off. Or did Eve have it straight and then Satan's 
misdirection confused her. And by the way, where was Adam when she's talking to Satan? Is he off watching a ball game? Shouldn't he have been right there by her side? Shouldn't he have been there along giving her support? Why didn't he speak up? A lot of questions. We don't have answers to them. Here's all we know. Satan set the trap, and we took the bait, didn't we? I say we because Adam and Eve, they're us. <laughs> they're us. And Satan's been baiting and us and trapping us ever since. It's a battle. <laughs> a battle of epic proportion, a cosmic battle. God on one side, Satan on the other. God telling us he is enough. Satan telling us that there's always something more. Satisfaction versus greed. God at the center versus me at the center. Satan baiting the trap. And you and me, we're all willing to take the bait. Mm. Sin, that's what we call this uh, uh, when we take Satan's bait. Sin, S-I-N. And Satan used a lot of schemes to, to bait us, to trap us. And, and for the next couple of minutes, we're going to draw on some materials from uh, 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 something called the Upper Room. It's a, a part of the United Methodist Church. And, and they have a little thing that talks about three of the schemes that Satan uses. And these schemes spell out the word sin. And the first is S. Begins S-I-N, sin, S. Satan baits us and then traps us by using our own self-centeredness. S stands for self-centeredness. Just as Satan drew Eve in by saying to her, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's drawing on her, you know, wow, wow. Our desire to be, well, let's face it, the center of the universe to trust in her own choices rather than God's, to, to be her own God, little g God, so to speak. But it's not just Eve. It's you. It's me. We come into the world self-centered. By necessity, screaming and crying until our needs are met. I bet Reese is the exception, right? She has never kept you up late, has she? You never had to get up in the middle of the night because she was crying because she was wet or hungry or ever. What a sweet child, huh? But definitely the exception to the rule. <laughs> because children by necessity, babies have to do that. They have to be self-centered, don't they? That's the only way they can let us know their needs, the only way those needs can be met. Here's the challenge that we all too often continue to concern ourselves with having our own needs met past the point of infancy, past the point of childhood. And we keep doing that until somehow we take ourselves out of the center of our universe and put God there. Put God at the center. Put others ahead of ourselves. And that just doesn't happen. It's a conscious thing. It's something we have to work at. And here's why it's so challenging, because Satan works overtime to keep that from happening. He likes for us to be self-centered because then we can't be God-centered. All too often, though, we do take that bait that he sets, believing the world revolves around me. Yeah. Focusing on me having my needs met before anyone else's. Believing that I know better than God what's important and what I need. S stands for self 
self-centeredness. The I stands for idols. Idols, false gods, little g gods. And, and we all have them from one time or another. God created us with this God-shaped hole in our soul, but boy, do we try to fill it with all kinds of things. It could be relationships, it could be jobs, it could be sports, it could be music, it could, I mean, all that stuff isn't bad, but when they become our idols, when they become more important, we try to, you know, it could be money, it could be all kinds of things, stuff, 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 and we try to fill this hole in our soul and we can never find it. It can never get filled up because we're filling it with the wrong thing. It's not a thing. It's a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. And Satan loves it when that gets all scrambled up and the hole in our soul gets filled with other things. It could be uh, drugs or alcohol. And I've shared my story and you know that I was there at one point and Satan's pleased when that happens, when something else or someone else has a hold of us that takes precedence over God. We all have these little G-gods. And so um, none of those things that I mentioned can offer forgiveness. None of those things can save us at all. Little G-gods always keep us trapped, always trapped. And Satan loves it when we're in that position. Mm. Sin, S-I-N, S, self-centeredness, I, idols, and N, not believing. What do you mean not believing? Well, one of the major entrapments we find ourselves in is not believing that God is who God, said God says God is. Not believing that God can truly forgive me for my sin. Not believing that God can possibly love me in spite of my sin can love us unconditionally? You know, we live in a world where love is pretty conditional most of the time. I will love you if, and you fill in the blank. That's not sometimes said, but it's often implied. It's often implied. I will love you if these criteria are met. Yeah. But here's the thing. That isn't how God operates. This love we talk about, God's love, the, the love that allowed Jesus to die on the cross for us, that love is what we call unconditional. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, nothing you can do to make God love you less. Mm -mm -mm. That's exactly right. You can't earn it, though. You don't deserve it. Neither do I. None of us does. All we can do is accept it like a gift. We often don't deserve the gifts, otherwise it's not really a gift. We, we, can't, we don't buy ourselves gifts. People give us gifts. All we can do is accept them. And that's that love, that unconditional love alone that allows our sins to be forgiven. It's that unconditional love of God through Jesus Christ and the power of God's Holy Spirit that sets us free. Freedom. Jesus talked about freedom at the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 4. He, Jesus, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up and read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed, handed to him. Unrolling it, 
he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so the freedom of God that God spoke of through the prophets 700 years before is now fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, just as he shared that with the crowd in the synagogue that Sabbath morning. And so it's Jesus and Jesus alone who brings the freedom that was promised throughout the centuries. Jesus and Jesus alone who releases us from this trap, self-centeredness, idols, uh, uh, not belief, the trap of Satan, the, the trap of sin. As the Apostle Paul shared in the synagogue with the people of Pisidian Antioch, we read this in Acts 13, 30. 8 through 39, New International Version, Paul said this. He said, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free. Say free. Everyone is set free from every sin. Say every sin. Free from every sin a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Everyone, everyone, everyone who believes is set free from sin. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Everyone who believes that Jesus died for them. Everyone who believes that Jesus loves them so much that if they were the only person on the earth, Jesus would do it anyway. Everyone who believes is set free from every sin, every sin. I can't even hardly fathom that. That's what the end in non-belief. I believe in Jesus, but I do, I, do I really believe that Jesus is going to do what Jesus says he's going to do? <clears throat> do I really believe in the promises of God? Sometimes I'm a little bit on the fence. Can you really do it, Lord? God wants all of us. God wants us to believe in the promises that everything works for good for those who love him. How could the God of all creation, the God of all universe, the God of all perfection, how could he forgive me? I've messed up so much. But the reality is, the truth is, that he does. You, there's nothing that you've done that God cannot forgive you for. There's nothing that you do that God will not love you. God will love you anyway. Our sins are forgiven in Christ, and we are indeed set free, and that's the promise. And I will cling to that promise more than cling to my unbelief, those times when I just might be, really, God, can you really do it? I will cling to the promise. How about you? Trapped. True for you, true for me been our human condition ever since that fruit was first eaten in the garden, ever since Satan baited the trap and we took the bait. Reminded once again of Romans 3.23, a well-read verse, but it's, it makes sense because it says, all have sinned. Say all. 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah. And then you think it is in the game of mousetrap, the one who is trapped loses, right? That's, that's not true in our lives necessarily. Because Jesus offers a way out. Jesus offers escape from that trap. Jesus just gave his very life to give us the freedom from that trap that in, and, and from that sin that entraps us. Freedom from the hold that Satan has. And yes, we're in this cosmic, epic battle. But we already know the end of that story. <clears throat> we can read in Revelation, we already know who is victorious in that epic battle, that cosmic battle of God and Satan. God wins. We already know the end of the story. You ever read the end of the book and then the rest of the books? Nah. No, the beautiful thing is we, we know the end of the story and still the story is incredible. It makes it more incredible because we know who is victorious. We know who wins. We know the battle's already been won and all we got to do is quit taking the bait and say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. Jesus died on the cross so that we don't have to be entrapped. So that we don't have to be entrapped. The question is, do you believe that? It's a real simple question. Do you believe that God Christ died for you as your Lord and Savior? He's not going to force his way into your life. It tells us in, in Revelation that he stands at the door and knocks. And if you open the door, he'll come in and have a meal with you. He'll come in and be in relationship. That's what he's waiting for you to open the door. And I know many of you have opened the door, but it's a daily door opening, isn't it? Daily, we say, come, be in my life, be part of my life. We can't just ignore it. We constantly have to be in relationship. That's what relationships are, aren't they? It's not a one and done. It's like when Carrie and I got married, we didn't get married and then go separate ways. We're constantly working it out, day by day, getting closer, trying to. And that's what this Jesus thing is. Now, some of you have said, yes, Lord, yes. It's a yes, Lord, every day. And I would encourage you right now, Lord, invite God, Jesus into your life once again to continue to be Lord and Savior. Come up to the steps. Submit yourself. And for those who haven't opened that door yet, how about today? Why would you wait a day further? I know there's somebody in here. I was, I was thinking about this. We didn't talk about Revelation first service. Somebody in here needs to open that door today and say, Lord, I'm trapped and I need you to unentrap me, to get me out of this trap that Satan's got me in. I don't fully know what that means, Lord, but I understand you're the one that can save me. Somebody here needs to do that. You can do it up on the steps. You can do it in your seat. Cheryl's in the back. Hey, Cheryl. Lights are bright up here. Cheryl would love to pray with you in the back. Say, Cheryl, uh, I need Christ in my life. She'll walk you through it. Yeah, that'd be great. That's your seat. If, if today is the day you open that door of Christ, I encourage you, tell somebody. This is a new birthday for you. It's your second birthday. Jesus is waiting for you to open the door. Say, get me out of the trap, Lord. Be my Savior. Be my life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <coughs> Almighty God, thank you so much that you don't leave us to ourselves, but you are so much bigger. You're before us, behind us, all around us. And Lord, you made a way. You made a way through your son, Jesus Christ, for us to live forgiven and free. Lord, there's nothing that can 
knock us down where you can't pull us out. And things may not work the way that we want, but Lord, we know that when we're in Christ, when we're in you, all things do work together for good. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves. And Lord, if there's anyone here on the fence, we just pray that one more baby step toward you. That's all it takes. We thank you again for today. And we pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Everybody agreed and said, Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life he offers.